Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. We're all familiar with staffing problems. The lack of physicians in certain geographic regions has become a chronic concern for healthcare systems and medical practices. If Richard III were running a hospital today, he might offer his kingdom for a cardiologist instead of a horse. Today, we're going to move beyond debating the causes of physician shortages. We're going to talk with an expert who assists with staffing issues. Prepare to pick up some pro tips on physician staffing next on Sound Practice. My guest today is Ted Wayne. Mr. Wayne is Senior Vice President of Jackson & Coker. He is also the host of Heroes of Healthcare, a podcast dedicated to highlighting bold, selfless professionals in the healthcare industry. Ted Wayne, welcome to Sound Practice. Thanks, Mike. Fun to be here. Oh. It's, uh, it's fun to be on this side of the mic, you know, hosting <laughs> podcasts. I get to be on this side, so I'll, I hope I, hopefully I represent well. Well, I will say, as a seasoned professional podcaster, you make me nervous. But we will do our best to endeavor forward here. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about all things locum tenens. So maybe we should just start with the benefits of using locums as a 30,000-foot view. Ted, can you give us some ideas there? Yeah. So I, kind of interesting. So locum tenens um, are, I tell friends who say, what is that word? It's a, it's a Latin term for in place of or serving in place of. Um, and we, uh, Jackson and Coker, and there's a, a large industry around providing temporary doctors. Uh, I kind of laugh. I said, so the doctors may not want to be called temporary. So they came up with a Latin term for it. locum tenens. It sounded better, but nonetheless, it's a uh, it's a it's a very uh, interesting thing. It's been around for um, you know probably pushing thirty four, actually almost close to forty years, um, and it has grown and like most businesses do and evolved in its uh, stature. But in today's current climate, locum tenens are becoming more important more than ever. Number one for healthcare provision. And also becoming more important, I think, for those who are providing those services, those physicians who are work, who are choosing to, to work locums. But we'll talk about um, the benefits of it. Uh, I think for the healthcare systems, the benefit is becoming uh, more and more apparent. But it was originally sick and vacation, for lack of a better term, probably majority. Doctor's going to be out today. We need a coverage or doctor's going to go on vacation or go on sabbatical or whatever it might be, some sort of leave, and they would need a replacement to co for coverage. Um, and that was really how it started. But um, it has become a real important part of the healthcare systems, especially in the rural areas. Um, to be able to get the right health care. So in certain cases, rural areas are unable to attract uh, the primary care, family medicine, emergency medicine, some of the core physicians that they need. And the only way they can get the access to that health care is by bringing in doctors from the outside who will come and work for a couple of weeks on, and then they rotate them in and out. Um, because the rural areas just sometimes are having trouble attracting physicians 
in those areas to work. So locums has become a critical a critical need in the market uh, for those rural or the underserved areas, um, even some of the difficult urban areas to attract the right healthcare professionals. So locums become a big uh, gap fill for those areas. Um, and then as we're facing two big dynamics in the market, which we talk about a lot, one is physician burnout. Uh, COVID has caused a lot of burnout, um, a lot of physicians having to carry a lot of load and a lot of time um, carrying their, uh, their, their taking the seriousness of their careers importantly. And it, it's kind of ironic, I'll just sidebar here a little bit real quick, is that was the genesis of Heroes of Healthcare, the podcast that uh, I do, is that we recognize through COVID that physicians and clinicians of all levels were really selflessly putting their lives on the line, you know, entering into a, a hot zone of a pandemic of something that people were not, uh, didn't know what they were getting into, but were going to serve and to help save others while putting their lives at risk. And, you know, so that was where the Heroes Healthcare came out was to highlight those people. But it became a big part of the, uh, of even the pandemic uh, supplement. So uh, Phoebe Putney, which is a rural area in South Georgia, uh, got hit really hard by COVID in the very early year, year, early stages of the pandemic. And it was, they had a super spreader event where a local official got uh, passed away and everybody went to the funeral in the community. And sure enough, the community got almost decimated. And so Phoebe Putney had no other course but to reach out and and bring locum tenants in. And so Jackson and Coker and, and uh, some of the Jackson healthcare companies all rallied around that. And we were, and Phoebe Putney will tell you in the town that, you know, without that, let, being able to bring doctors in to support this, the death, the death impact would have been even much higher than it already was. So the ability to mobilize a large workforce uh, in a short period of time, um, our ability to license and credential outside doctors to come into Phoebe Putney in Georgia, was faster than normal business due to the emergency situation that was put in by the state and the governor and federally as well. But um, I think it's another example of, of why locums, you know, is a, is a benefit. It can provide a mobilization of uh, medical help and physicians into crisis areas. <clears throat> Could be crisis areas hit by tornadoes, you know, FEMA type events, or obviously in the case of the pandemic. And then going back to kind of the, the burnout, you know, some of the numbers we're hearing are 30% shortage of physicians in the market. Um, so we, we have a current shortage of physicians. There's not a quick fix to that. Um, I was surprised to hear um, on NPR about a year ago that there's about 8,000 residency uh, uh, graduating medical school uh, students who do not receive residencies. In other words, we're graduating 8,000 more than residency slots that are available. So as we need physicians entering into the market, we're still hampered by even the, how many we can bring into the market each year. And some of them are having to sit out a whole year waiting for the next residency round to come around. So, you know, so this challenge is something we have and it's not something that's necessarily gonna go away. I had one guest on our show and, and she said that this problem won't be solved in our lifetime you know, because we can't clone people. <laughs> and even if we did clone them, we still need to wait 30 years from the finished medical school. So this is a, this is a real problem. And I don't want to kind of keep rambling. And, and, you know, when we talk about healthcare systems are going to have to figure out how to become more efficient. 
because they're just not going to have the resources. But again, part of the, the, the burnout is happening where what locums is providing to those physicians is an alternative. And I think that that's a big, that's a big uh, opportunity. And, and it's great for the people in the, in the healthcare leadership world to know is there are physicians who say, I can't do this 14 day, 14 hour grind day in and day out. It's burning me out. I'm taking it home with me. That's not working. So, but they want to continue to practice and they want to continue to keep their licenses moving, you know, keeping them active and going and continue to practice and not, uh, and not lose that. And so locums is providing that because they can call us up and say, I'm, I'm available two weeks this month and we can find an assignment for them, uh, pay for their travel. We cover the cost. We even covered medical malpractice for them as well. So they're covered and they get to go to a different location and they can work for two weeks and then kind of catch their breath for two weeks. And it keeps them practice and keeps them going. Um, but it's provided with a, a real good alternative for some of that burnout uh, for those who are not ready to hang up the shingle. So, you know, to, or take down the shingle, I guess we should say, uh, permanently. Well, all of those great benefits uh, from the physician coverage angle, but I assume that there's some benefits from the hospital's point of view to the extent that these uh, physicians are providing services at the hospital or coverage at a hospital uh, on terms of profitability. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think sometimes hospitals believe that or, or some of the market misconception at times is, well, locums are more expensive um, or they're too expensive. We can't afford locums. And what I challenge some of the leaders to look at is really dig into the economics of it. Because often what we, we look at is we say, okay, I have a current physician in a role and we're paying him or her X amount of dollars. And they look at that on an hourly basis or a daily basis. And they say, and the locum on an hourly or daily basis seems to be significantly more expensive. But we often don't calculate or I've seen not calculated is you know, what we often refer to as kind of the fringe, which is that additional 30% or so, or sometimes mm -hmm. as high as 35%, which is the FICA food, Asuda, all the employment tax things that as an employer, I have to pay typically about 13% in and around there. And then you have your healthcare benefits that as a, as an employer, you provide additional with time off and all the other things that adds up. And when you add that on top of it, and then you look at the locums cost, it's not that I'm not going to say it's still cheaper or it's the same, but it's not as significantly more, seemingly more expensive. And then the other thing, too, is just the loss of billing revenue. In other words, if you don't have somebody there, you're not billing, you're not you're not generating revenue. And I think sometimes that's we see that being lost, too. I had a, a facility several years ago and we had a what we thought was a great psychiatrist to fill in for the role for them. And uh, uh the psychiatrist and the costs and the travel, they just said it's too expensive. We just can't do it. And I asked them the question. I said, well, if you don't have anybody in that role for the next month, you know, how much are you going to lose in revenue? You're not going to be able to bill. And they, you know, they came up with the number and it was, they saw it, but administratively they still had, they, you know, they couldn't get the approvals. They don't like locums. You know, there was this uh, uh, lack of, um, what I call stra uh, work man, excuse me, it's lack of workforce management strategy or manpower planning, where the organization said locums is a viable alternative. 
because nobody just really looked at it and broken it down. So again, I encourage healthcare facilities to look at what is my total cost of productivity? What does it cost me to keep the hospital running from a labor standpoint? And again, that includes dietitians and nurses and clinicals and med tech, all of that stuff is included. But and, and this rule that I'm kind of talking about or this way of looking at business should apply to all of those. But there's almost no company in the globe now anymore that does not have what we call augmented staff. Whether it's accounting, legal, there are temporaries, temporary paralegals that you bring in uh, to help build up your staff during certain peak periods and, and uh, you know, business times. And I don't think the healthcare system is any different, but at the leadership level, it's got to be looked at, it's got to be understood, and then it has to be managed, of course. You know, you don't want to just open up the purse strings and say, everybody, just go get a locum whenever you want to get a locum. It has to be managed. But it, I, I think the economics are there, and I think you can make strong business cases that it should be part of the organization's strategy on staffing. Let's address head-on what has been more of a historical criticism of locums, which is uh, maybe they're not of the quality that you would normally uh, expect. Uh, tell me, what type of physicians and advanced practitioners are you seeing um, being interested in doing locum tenens work today? Yeah, for sure. That that um, that perception is does is still a bit prevalent in the market, although, again, I, I think it is shifting um, for the better. Um, you, you know, I and I would say that there was probably some truth there because locums was a, a little bit of an unknown. And I think those who uh, in the in many years ago stumbled into, for lack of a better term, into the locums world might have been certain physicians who were tro having trouble getting full time uh, positions due to. Uh, med malpractice issues, other things, and you know, other life problems that have had come across the person, um, and obviously the scrutiny for physicians being privileged is very high as it should be. Um, but it ran into certain problems, so the perception was, "I'm getting, I'm not getting a great doctor, right?" So, but that really has changed, and changed. Uh, you know, we see change for a lot of the reasons we just talked about, um, which is it is now becoming deemed a viable alternative for employment. And number one, we see it heavily in the younger physicians coming out. You know, there's a, you know, we have, what is it, four, five generations now working together for the first time ever in history, you know, the boomers and, and so on. But there's no doubt there's been a lot written about Gen X and Gen Z and those, and that their value of what's important in a job is different than what, mine might be as a, as a boomer or what, you know, you know, that job for life and stay with the company and all of that and finding my passion and my purpose and what can I do? And I think that flexibility in lifestyle and the flexibility in work is what's made locums attractive for a lot of uh, the younger generation of uh, clinicians and advanced practitioners and physicians coming out in the market. It's allowing them to kind of see different environments and do different things. So while maybe I take the job in Chicago and I'm doing two weeks on and two weeks off, on those two weeks off, number one, I got a lot of big student loans. <laughs> so I want to make more money if I can, because I want to burn off the student loans. And I can go do a one-week stint in um, Arizona, 
you know, or maybe in a rural community. So while I'm practicing in Chicago, I can go to a um, Indian Health Services, which is the division of the government that provides health care to the Native Americans uh, on often on the um, reservations themselves. Um, and it's a, just an unbelievable uh, cultural experience, an unbelievable, uh, you know, in a sense, almost philanthropic in terms of your ability to give back. Um, some states, uh, interestingly enough, have started programs where uh, physician graduates can go work in uh, lesser served areas or on IHS reservations for a couple of years and have their um, a large part of their tuition loans covered. Mm. So it's kind of like a GI bill, right? Used to be, you know, sort of thing, sure. go serve and, you know, and then you can, and they'll pay for your education. So it's great to see that some of that's happening, but as a result, that that is starting to step up the level of physician that we're seeing because it's not just the physician who maybe has a something on their record that's preventing them from getting a, a traditional job. Um, some of the expertise that we've seen working locums has been phenomenal. Uh, so uh, I think it's uh, I think in some cases it's at, it's at par. In some cases, you can actually. Uh, even do potentially a little bit better. Um, you might be able to bring in through a locum a level of expertise that your hospital cannot normally attract on a full-time basis. Uh, you know, somebody who's working at a, at a very heavy load trauma center uh, can come into a rural facility and help them if they're struggling with some of the load that they might be experiencing just due to local growth, local issues, whatever it might be. Um, so again, in a way, it's it's almost in a way of bringing in a consultant who's got some level of expertise that you could bring in uh, to an area that maybe normally couldn't do. So we're, we're definitely seeing a leveling off of that, and uh, and in some cases, it can be it can be a step up. Okay, that helps me with the profile of the individual that's interested in doing this type of work. Um, let's look at the other side of the equation. Let's look at the uh, the the profile of the organization that is um, is interested in in hiring. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what types of facilities are using locums? Is it within certain geographic areas that you see more demand or less? Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, some statistic I saw, and I forget what it was, but it says something like 90% of the healthcare uh, facilities are using locums. Um, I've been in the staffing industry. I've always been doing locums for almost 35 years. And that's a common number. I mean, we heard that, you know, 90% of the companies in the country use some form of temporary labor, whether it be accounting or, or office support or, or in this case, uh, healthcare. And um, so, so to answer your question, a lot are. Um, and interestingly enough, there seems to be a larger demand, as I said earlier, in more of the rural areas. That's where we tend to find a greater concentration of customer customer usage than in the urban areas. And I think that's just a sheer demographic population. The availability of people is greater in New York or Chicago or L.A. than it is in, you know, areas of Minnesota or, you know, I, I actually live in Montana, 1.1 million people in the whole uh, country and my wife needed a specific scan and we had to drive two and a half hours to get that scan done. So I, you know, I think those areas tend to be um, a smaller staff. So they don't have people who can cover. So if one person does go out, leaves, whatever, they don't have somebody on 
you know, who can cover for them. Um, so I, I do think um, rural hospitals, uh, guess again, um, disadvantaged areas, things like that tend to be a larger consumer than the bigger urban hubs. You know, people will say to me, well, I'm sure you've got a big office in New York and Chicago. And we're like, no, we actually really don't. Um, we, we actually all do it from one centralized office, but those areas would not be necessarily a traditional place for a physician if you were targeting to go to, to, serve, in, to serve an area. And in terms of, the, you know, there are big hospital systems like Providence and Kaiser, and those are large consumers of locum tenens. They have very, uh, what I'd call, sophisticated programs managing it. Uh, they're managing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of cost to the facility. And so they have a very centralized process. You know, so if I need a locum or I need some coverage, I call into the locum tenens or the physician recruiting office, and they process my request for somebody. Um, and then you have some of the smaller healthcare facilities or even some of the um, physician groups that will use it. So if I'm a physician group to a specific hospital and I've got some of my team who is going to be out, I'm using locums to cover myself at that hospital as a group or a practicing group. Um, but I'd say by and large, it is the large healthcare facilities, the hospitals, and it could be a single hospital in, like I said, a rural area or a large multi-state system. Is this a strategy that's just to cover a temporary gap of coverage, or do you find some people that just use this as their strategy for, for staffing going forward on a permanent basis? Um, I think, I don't know that I've seen in other sectors of staffing, that's a great question, because in other sections of staffing, companies have gone to this virtual workforce almost 100%. Um, the uh, the case I often talk about, and this is this was when staffing started to really change and how companies used it back in the 80s. But Apple went through a significant layoff in the early 80s. And they did a study and the and the damage to the remaining staff, not the people they let go, but the morale, the lack of productivity in the existing staff, and the recognition that their business was going to have ebbs and flows both economically, technologically, their ability to release new technology would put different uh, strains on the company that when they began to rehire again, coming out of the recession in the early 80s, they made a strategic decision that they were only hiring contract staff in certain key areas because they knew that even that might be a year, two years, three years, they just knew the cyclicality of their business was gonna force them to have to pull down and pull up or what they call an accordion workforce, right? Where I can compress it and I can pull it. Um, and that was a strategy done because that met, that was gonna meet the demand and the impact was less on the morale of the team. Because when we said, hey, listen, we're gonna have to let Johnny and Mary go. They said, oh, well, they were brought in as contractors anyway. There was just this kind of psychological conception was that they were temporary. So it, it, it didn't. And there was also, they found in the study was that, the, the people who were full-time felt a sense of security in their current role because they knew they weren't the first line in case of an economic crisis to go, that these temporary workers or these contractors that they were working with next to them were going to be the kind of the first to go. And that that population knew wide open that that's what they were coming in with. 
and that it was okay. So that really, that was really kind of the um, case study that started to shift that. I don't yet see that quite yet in the healthcare. Healthcare is a little bit of a laggard, as we know, with certain things. I'm still faxing paperwork to my doctors, you know, so we still see that. But, um, but I think that that's changing. And the, the indicator to me that why that's changing is we're seeing, as I said earlier, the sophistication of the setup of these physician recruiting programs um, within, the, within the hospital, which is that it is becoming a strategic department and they're managing the workflow load by bringing in higher or, or locums. And that decision is starting to happen. There's also in the, in the HR world, there's um, what they call, they're starting to call TTM, total talent management. And that's beginning to take a holistic view over that manpower planning that I was talking about and looking at it from a strategic standpoint and how do we best manage it? Because we tend to apply the same old up, you know, what we call, um, you know, this person, I got a job, I got a role, they're gone, I got to fill the role, I got to fill it, you know, and we just kind of get into that um, automatic routine of they're gone, we refill it, we got and we find somebody full time. I don't think that quite yet, it's happening, but quite yet, we're getting into more of the workforce planning. Um, but we are seeing it, we're seeing it, the consultancies that are working with the healthcare systems, they're starting to look at it more strategically. Um, and, uh, and, and in a form, you know, as, I, as I'm thinking here, Mike, as a, in a form, if you think about the companies like Team Health and Mednax and some of these that are full, what I would call BPO, business process outsourcers, in a sense, that's what they're doing. They're coming in and saying, we'll take over your ER, right? So that, so that hospital is making a strategic decision that says this company can run it better, more cost effectively than we can. And so they're shifting it out into that. Um, it doesn't provide that just in time, maybe, and that flexibility, but it's a bit of a form of how workforce strategies within some of the healthcare companies are changing. This is all fascinating. And, and sadly, we're, we're starting to run short on time, but I think it would be helpful to, to our audience to talk a little bit about what a successful relationship between a healthcare organization and a staffing agency looks like and any tips that you would have for healthcare organizations and working with uh, staffing agencies as we round out our time together. Yeah, I think, it, you know, as your listeners are hearing this and they're saying, you know, maybe we should start exploring locums or I don't know what we're doing. Maybe I should dig into this world. I find that happens a lot, too. They just I don't I know we use them, but I don't even know to what extent. Um, I think you do have to put uh, I don't think it's rocket science. That's why I'm in the industry, but it's uh, but you do have to put some strategy into this in terms of how you approach it. And I think a big part of it is so you have to be a little bit careful of who you select as your partner. Um, some of this business can be um, very uh, short-term transactional. In other words, you may run into a company who's only really interested in how many doctors can they place at your place today, right? It's the short-term view. I think you want to look for somebody who's been around for a while and who has a track record of partnering with you around manpower planning. What are your needs going to be not just today, but what are your needs going to be in six months? Uh, you know, we had a big health system that decided to strategically move to hospitalists a lot more than they were using. And there was a whole big revamping of that department for the hospital. 
And we played a very important role of finding those hospitalists as they made the conversion until they could either hire them full-time or find their own. And we also helped with the balance of that workload balance that they had. So I think you want to look for a firm that has the ability to help you partner, that's looking more long-term at your business and, uh, and how can they be a partner to you. I know that's a bit cliched, but I think you have to, to, uh, to interview that. Um, it is a relationship business. I'd like to say that we have a, an exclusive group of doctors that only work with us and that, um, but uh, we don't. So some of the locum physicians that are registered with Jackson and Coker are, are registered with locumtenants.com or some of the other companies that we, uh, we work with in the market. And uh, so you have to make sure you have a feel good rapport. You know, I think it's an important, um, I think continuity within those relationships are important. And then the last part from a risk standpoint, I think is really critical, is take the time and make sure you do a good look at the medical malpractice. Um, not all medical malpractice provided by locums companies are created equal. And uh, when you're a new locums company, there are certain specialties that you can't, because you don't have an experience in, get for certain specialty coverages like OBGYN or some of the higher risk specialties, you can't get insurance early on until you begin to establish a track record of performance with the thing. So you might pick up the phone one day with your you know, local locum staffing company and say, I need an OBGYN. And they'll say, okay, great, we'll find you one. And you don't want to find out later that they didn't have coverage for that specialty. Um, you, know, you could be putting your, your system at, at great risk to cost. So um, make sure that you get that certificate of insurance, make sure your risk department looks at it, make sure that the uh, coverages are, are ample and aligned with what they, they deem to be important, and specifically make sure that it covers the specialties uh, that you're, you believe you're going to be hiring for are covered under that, um, because that's where we've seen, um, unfortunately, some places make some mistakes, and that, that mistake hindsight is a really expensive one. Uh, so you don't, you know, in, 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 in lots of ways. So you want to make sure that you have that uh, the locums firm that you're working with is, um, is, uh, has the right coverage. And then the last piece too, is we are a part of an organization called NALTO, which is the National Association of Locum Tenant Organizations, NALTO.org. And I encourage you to look at NALTO companies and part of it is, is that NALTO companies have a charter that they uh, agree to practice on in terms of how they ethical practices, the provision of those practices. And the other thing that's really great that they provide is they actually provide arbitration type of services. Meaning if I provided a, a physician to a hospital and, that, and, and another locums company said, no, that's our physician, and the, low, and the hospital says, listen, I'm not going to get into the feud between you two fighting over this guy. That hospital, as using NALTO firms, NALTO will arbitrate to, between the two or, uh, uh, locums providers, settle the thing, and keep the client out of it. So there's some real benefits for the healthcare system to be using NALTO members as part of their um, source of recruitment. Well, those are excellent. Uh, pro tips. Thank you. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, our, our time is up, but my guest has been Ted Wayne. He is the Senior Vice President of Jackson and Coker. 
And Ted, thank you so much for being on Sound Practice. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about this and um, look, looking forward to keeping in touch. My thanks to Ted Wayne. His insights and tips offer a potential path forward to those in need of hiring physicians. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Robin, Red Book of Power.